An older gentleman was uh, at the mall with his wife. She was shopping. He was waiting out in the middle part. A miserable experience. A fella sat down across from him, and he had one you know, clump of hair sticking up. It was green. Another clump sticking up. It was purple. Another clump. It was blue. Another clump. It was, it was red. He looked like the Statue of Liberty, you know, just four different colors. Looked at the old fellow, he said, what's up, Pops? What are you looking at? He said, well, my brother a long time ago ran off and married a parrot. <laughs> Nobody's seen him since, and I was just thinking, you could be my nephew. <laughs> Risky story there. We love stories, don't we? We love stories. I know I, I make it a habit of eavesdropping on you. I, I love to listen to people tell stories. I love to tell stories. We all love stories. We love what stories do to convey meaning, the way they help us make sense out of life. Jesus told stories in order to take something really big and abstract and to bring it down into something concrete and portable, something you can grab hold of, like a couple of handlebars. Jesus told stories to make something complex conveyable, understandable, to make something big smaller. It's a little like the way that we convey to generation after generation the abstract but powerful and valuable ideals of the nation. We don't talk about valor and honor and integrity and ingenuity and perseverance. We tell a story about a cherry tree and a log cabin in Kentucky. When Jesus tells stories, there's always a twist. What we love about the story, like I told at the beginning about the parrot, is that there's a twist in it that catches you off guard. In this case, it's a, a punchline. For Jesus, the punchline is to confront some way that we're trying to make sense of life that's not right or not good for us. Always there's a twist in the stories that Jesus tells. They're called parables. And the twist is a surprise. In every parable is a surprise. Something unexpected. Something you might not see at first. They're very simple, and yet they're, they're hidden there, this little twist. And it, again, is to confront us in the ways that we try to make sense of life in ways that are not good for us or, or just plain wrong. Today, it's to confront the way we try to make our faith, our beliefs, our basic trust a part of life rather than the whole of life. What does it look like? Why is it? How is it? That your basic beliefs, your basic orientation, your basic trust the location of your basic trust. What's it look like for it to be a part 
not just a part of life, but the whole of life. Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 13, starting with verse 31. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. May God bless us today as we reflect upon his word. Let's pray together. Our Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So what does it look like for your basic trust, your basic orientation in life? Everybody has some basic trust. We, we are vested. Every one of us is vested in something. What does it look like for trust in God to take over the whole and not just the part? Well, it, it, it takes over the way you see and it takes over the way you live. First, let, let's consider how our basic trust can take over the way that we see. The way we see everything. Not just to look at faith, but to look through it at everything. Ravi Zacharias, an apologist, author, travels around internationally speaking about issues of faith, issues of the day. He was in a uh, university in the Midwest, and a young woman, hearing him talk about the coherence of the world, of the universe, objected. She said, I see nothing coherent about the universe. I see nothing coherent about the world. Why is it that you're so fixated on coherence anyway? That's a, a Western construct. And he said, well, I'd like to respond to you, but let me ask you, would you like my response to be coherent? <laughs> See, even in the way that she complained, she's leaning on some basic trust, some foundation of coherence that underneath all that we see and hear and feel and taste and touch, there's someone, there's something that makes sense of everything. Where did we come from? Why are we here? Where are we going? What does it look like? Not just to have control like, like this young woman confronting Ravi wanted. She wanted control. She wanted coherence. She was appealing to coherence to make her point, right? She was objecting to Ravi, and she was using the English language, and she was trying to say, I want you to understand that I'm objecting to you, and so she's appealing to some basic foundation of coherence, but she was holding back 
for her, trust in the bigger picture was just a part, not the whole, because she wanted to maintain control, and so do we. So do we. That's why Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven, that is, our basic orientation to reality, to what's really real, what transcends all things. Where did we come from? Why are we here? Where are we going? The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. And you say, well, where's the, where's the twist, Tim? Where's the, where's the surprise? Well, think of it. If you're growing a garden, imagine your tomatoes and your squash and your peppers, they're sitting there, and you plant a little mustard seed, and all of a sudden, here comes this, this bush that takes over everything. It's invasive. Not only that, it grows up to be a tree, and now here, are, here come the birds. Well, that's a great idea for a garden, isn't it? You see the twist is that our basic trust in God is invasive. Why does he put it negatively? Why does he put it with a negative image? Because he wants it to confront you. Because we need to be confronted. The way we see the world is often to add faith to the, the control that we have over our world. We want faith to serve us. We want to have a little bit of sprinkle of faith over our plans. Wilbur Reese puts it this way. He says, I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of God to make me love my enemy or pick beets with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. At one time, Beth, my wife, thought that I was afraid of kudzu, and I probably, probably am afraid of kudzu. Because it grows, you can almost see it, you can hear it growing. You know, it just, I, okay, I just, ugh, just to think of it, it's just horrible, horrible thought. Kudzu, imported as a ground cover, and it's just, what's it done? Anywhere you see kudzu, you know, see, I'm from North Carolina, East Tennessee area. Kudzu has taken over the region, right? In fact, there was a, there was a story right before we left Chattanooga where they had hired a man who had a, a flock of goats just to keep the, the kudzu abated on this one hill by the, you know, it just was making Chattanooga look bad because kudzu was taking over. Does your basic trust in God look like that? Has it taken over? Has it taken over even areas where you, you really want control and, and it's, it's kind of inconvenient? Recently, I heard somebody say, you know, your whole life long, God is going to keep messing with you. <laughs> That's pretty good, isn't it? I like that. It's true. 
as long as we're building on a foundation that is brittle, shakable, he's going to keep messing with us until we begin to shift our basic trust onto a foundation that's sure and certain and eternal. Maybe you're feeling that way. Maybe you don't really connect with what I'm saying. Maybe you don't recognize just how important what I'm saying is to your everyday life. I was sitting with a couple many, many years ago, long ago and far away. That means this is a composite. You'll never be able to identify who I'm talking about. And they were talking to each other, and I could tell they were just so deeply bitter towards one another. And I heard her say to him something, and then I... I saw his reaction, and I was so curious about it. And then I saw him say something to her, and I saw her reaction, and I thought, goodness, where is this coming from? And you know, there's a thing called the confirmation bias. Have you ever heard of this confirmation bias? It's when your emotions are, are so, so stricken by someone else, and you're so dug in about what you think about that person, that everything they say is read through that same lens. And so it doesn't matter if what they're saying is, is, is perfectly benign or trustworthy, you're still going to read it with distrust, with a cloudy lens. So too, do we see the world when our basic trust is in ourselves and our faith in God is the part and not the whole? We will read the world and each other and the things that matter most with a cloudy lens. So what does it look like? For faith to take over the whole and not just be a part, it means... It's not something we look at, it's, it's something we look through. Our faith is something we look through and not something we look at. Second, it takes over your lifestyle. It takes over the way we live. When our basic trust begins to take root like that mustard seed, it takes over. But more than that, it even changes the way that we relate to each other. The surprise in the second parable is that the woman hid the yeast in the flour. Now, why would you do that? <laughs> That's not a good idea. Have you ever seen what happens when you hide yeast in a flour? I mean, we're talking about three measures of, of yeast. So we're talking about three gallons, roughly about three gallons of of, I mean, I'm sorry, of flour, three gallons of flour. You take a little yeast. That's a lot of flour. And you think of this day and age and how, how precious it is and how they were in a survivor kind of context. That is just a, a jarring thing to think of. I mean, you're talking about uh, probably a month's supply of bread. That's just... Ruined, right? You have to use it all at once. There's the surprise. There's the twist. 
And again, in a way, it's negative, but you could actually think of it as a positive. It's, it's to take your life and to be generous with it. It's to be generous with the whole of your life towards God. It's to, to think of your life as being changed in its entirety, not just in part. Now, ima- imagine a boy with, with a girlfriend, and, you know, you're, you're fond of this boy, and you want to you wanna know how things are going, and, and you ask the boy, hey, how, how are things with, with your sweetheart? And he says, well, we talk every now and then. It's fine. He said, well, well, tell me more about her. What, what, what's she like? Well, you know, uh, maybe, maybe once every couple of weeks I hear from her. But I'll tell you what, when, when things are really down and out, when, when there's a problem, then she, she really comes racing back to me. And she's, she's right there, you know. And, and, and then I can tell she really, really needs me. Now, would you say, oh, this sounds very promising. But isn't that how we often relate to God. I don't say that to step on your toes or make you feel bad. I don't think God is up there saying, oh my goodness, look at you people, you're horrible. Just come racing to me when you're... No, 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 no. What I'm saying is, is that what he wants for you is complete life change, which is good for us. And it changes the way we relate to one another. It transforms the way we relate to our key roles. When we're relating regularly and well to God, the way we relate to each other becomes increasingly into the whole of the dough transformed, made new, improved. Jesus was confronting a religion of the day that was sort of shaming in the way that it, it spoke. It didn't think of, of God as wanting something for us, but wanting something from us. And Jesus is trying to change the way we see faith, the way we relate to God. He was confronting religion because it was the part that was centered on humanity in control rather than the whole that's being transformed all the way in and all the way through. And so, in short, the reason why Jesus is speaking these pointed parables and pointing them at us is that if we're going to change something as pervasive as human nature, then we need something as invasive as grace. If we're going to see our human nature, as pervasive as it is, transformed, then we need something as invasive as his amazing grace. And and he he aims it at the whole of us, not just the part, not, not just $3 worth of God, not just some great addition. You know, there, there, there's a, a, a book called Return Flight, and it talks about a generation coming back to church. And the idea 
that, that they've gotten us to a certain point with their kids. And this is not, you know, not a present generation, it's an older book. And, and it's a generation that was turned off by institutions in general. And, and they kind of stiff-armed God, they stiff-armed the church, anything that had to do that smelled at all like authority. Question authority. And it's very well documented how they've come back to the church and some of them have, have had faith become a part of the whole and others have come back just simply to make it a part of their life. And so the church assists them in child rearing and then there's a certain season of life where church is relevant and faith is relevant. But then we're done. And what I'm saying to you is, that's a weak strand. It's like, it's like, being, it's like being shot, uh, given a shot of a weak strain of a virus to be inoculated against the real thing. And Jesus is saying, I want you to have the real thing. I want you to have a trust that is foundational. I want you to have a trust that is, in fact, inconvenient, invasive. Because if we're going to deal with the pervasiveness of human nature, we need something as invasive as his amazing grace. That's really what this table is set for. It's set for, for you to have in concrete form, something abstract called the kingdom of heaven. For us to experience tangibly God's provision for us. For grace to, to make its way into us and to become even part of ourselves. I know that sounds strange, but that's, that's the concrete experience and picture of what he wants for us for our basic trust not to be in ourselves, to have control, and so to see the world with a clouded lens, but to shift our trust onto him that the way we see is good and good for us. Let's pray together. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the meal set before us, and we're grateful to you the ways that you meet us where we live and where we move and where we have our being. And so we pray that you would set aside these common elements from their everyday use to a sacred purpose. That as we receive this bread and from this cup, we may experience a magnificent exchange of our sin for your righteousness. For we make this our prayer in Jesus' name, amen.